You're listening to the NASM CPT podcast with Rick Ritchie, winner of the Share Care Emmy Award for Social Storytelling and the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today I'm recording something, and I just want to say, look, I know if you're a regular listener to the podcast and you're listening to these as they come out, over the past few weeks, we've run repeat episodes, uh, and they're great episodes. I hope you I hope you enjoyed them, but we're doing that because I've been traveling, teaching at Asia Fitness Conference. This week, if you're listening live, this will be one new one, and the second one will be a repeat. And the reason that is, is because this week is the Optima Conference, the NASM Optima Conference, which is for free. So if you want to attend, you want to join that conference, please do so. We would love to have you. It's a great opportunity to listen from uh, people, learn from people. It's an opportunity that I take, just like when uh, last week when I was traveling and teaching overseas. Uh, I taught on Friday and on Sunday, and Saturday I went to every single time slot where somebody was teaching so that I could learn. So it's an opportunity for all of us to learn. And I, I appreciate it. I appreciate NASM for doing it. And it's a great uh, chance to, to listen and learn. So please do that. And today, so I've had the opportunity to be at a few conferences, talk to people, people, different ideas, different perspectives. But what I've also found is that there are people out there who have some serious misconceptions about who NASM is and what we teach. And for me to be with presenters and educators and to hear people say, and, and they're nice about it. They, they, uh, they address me. They talk to me about it. I talk to them about it. I'll say if there are things that I think that we need to change on our end, uh, there are things that mostly people hear and assume about NASM. And then they go, oh, NASM. You're the people, and here's the first one, which I think is kind of funny. You're the people that stand on one leg. You're the one leg people. The people that as you teach and the first thing you do is get people on one leg and you bicep curl and you lat pull down and you chest press and you're always doing the single leg things and it's nonsense. It's nonsense. Well, I would say that uh, first thing you have to look at is why do we do what we do? And then people taking some information, removing it from context and say you stand on one leg and you use bands uh, all the time instead of weights. Um, and one of those misconceptions comes from this. And it's probably important to point this out that for years we would teach workshops. Now, we haven't taught any live workshops since the beginning of the pandemic. But listen, when you teach workshops, and you send uh, a, a crate full of things, the only thing you can afford to send are resistance bands and maybe some stability balls. So that's what we had to work with. So if we're the people that stand on one leg and the people that only use bands, 
That's just because that's how we could teach the workshops when we would go to these conferences and these conference halls. So if we didn't do a good job saying, by the way, this is phase one, level one of the OPT model, but you can use bands and you can use other things. You can do things on a single leg, but as you progress, you're going to increase the weight. You're going to need to increase the amount of stability, put both feet on the ground and, and do your exercises as you start to move into the strength levels. And then as you start to get into the power levels, you might have some mixing and matching, some real dynamic stuff on single legs, hopping, bounding, um, the ice skaters, things like that, the, the drills that you might do through the ladders on one leg at a time. So some people focus only on phase one. There's another thing there that when you start working with people and as a trainer, trainers like to specialize in a particular area. And I get it. I think that there's nothing really wrong with it, but where's your progression? So you might specialize and say, listen, I'm a phase one, NASM phase one person. And so every person you ever train and they come to you, you start them in phase one and they never leave phase one. And so everybody at the gym, they know you're an NASM person because you have everybody stand on one leg and you're doing focusing on the, the core stabilization stuff and uh, unstable surfaces that you have to control and really um, trying to stabilize in unstable positions. That's great. You can do that. Nothing wrong with it, except does it match with your client's goals or is it your goal because you like doing it and that's your favorite way to train that every single person that works with you ends up doing that for the entirety of their time working with you? And I think that's where we need to be careful. That's where I look at the quote NASM trainers and say, well, are you only keeping somebody in phase one or are you progressing them? Or as I like to say, because I had several great conversations with Nick Tuminello while I was at Asia Fitness Conference, and I love chatting with him. We we had uh, breakfast. We met at the breakfast there. We had breakfast together, and then we left him after about two hours, and we went to Starbucks, and we sat for about four hours just you know, rapping about stuff, but also everything leads back to fitness and what it is that we know and what we're familiar with and what we think the other person thinks, and then we realize we have a lot more in common than we have different, and so... What we have to look at is there's some people that just focus on certain things and you hold them near and dear, but where is that progression? So I told, I told Nick, I said, one of the things you have to be aware of is that we, you have to be aware and careful of my goal for you is more important than your goal for you. And if my goal for you is stabilization, stabilization, then we're going to progress to more stabilization. Then we're going to stand on one leg and stabilize and everything is stabilization. Then your goal for them may be very different than their goal for themselves. And so we're putting what we want on top of somebody else. We need to be aware of it. We need to look at the progressions and we need to make sure that we are progressing the clients well. We're giving them what they need. Maybe they need some stabilization, even though they didn't ask for it. Maybe we start them off, we get some good stabilization and we train that up. Maybe that's not what they want. Maybe it's not the best 
uh, use of the entire time that you're going to be training somebody uh, and and not progressing them. Or if you're progressing them, still progressing them within a stabilization phase. So are you moving people outside of it? Are you progressing along the model? Because I think the OPT model should be followed. If there are places that people don't need to focus on in the model, certainly you can remove it. But unless you have somebody that doesn't want to get stronger, doesn't want to get faster, doesn't want to build muscle, uh, doesn't want to progress outside of the intensity and tempo challenges that they're experiencing during the phase one, <clears throat> you should probably move them on past phase one. So this is one of the misconceptions. You stand on one leg, you focus on this, and that's because some people simply just don't progress beyond that first level. And here's the other thing. Not everything in phase one is standing on one leg. It's not. It's simply not. It is stabilization endurance. And some people focus far more on the stabilization and far less on the endurance. You can still do things on two legs. You don't have to use bands. For goodness sakes, if you're one of those people still spending a lot of time on some wobbly surface, get off of it and progress people. The surface we live on isn't wobbly. We live on the ground. Get better at the ground. The stabilization, the unstable surfaces can be nice to start getting a neuromuscular response, to smack things around and say, wake up, neuromuscularly. And then we can step them on and put them on that terra firma, put them on firm ground. And then if there are progressions that you want to make, feel free to do that. But is that getting them to the goal that they want? Is standing on some type of air type disc or cushion helping them get to what they want? Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. But it's important to say, okay, NASM has the series of things to go through, but did you take into account your client, their needs, their goals, their wants, their desires, in addition to a systematic progressive means of moving somebody from point A to point B? What are the misconceptions? That there is a dogma associated with the model and that we're not client focused. And why is that? Because sometimes we're not client focused. And we always have to be client-centered, client-focused, results-focused. And we get people to where they want. So if you're, if you're keeping people in one phase, and it's, it's unnecessary, right? Some people, it's necessary. That's where they need to train. It's kind of like, um, like floor-based Pilates. Like that's a, that's a great thing, but there's got to be a progression from that. Now they have all these wonderful pieces of equipment that you can progress Pilates to not just be lying on the floor. Right. I, I think that there's there are progressions that need to be made. Otherwise, what do you do? You get really good at floor based Pilates and there ain't nothing wrong with that. But is it helping them reach their goals? And if their goal is to be really good at Pilates, it doesn't matter. If your goal is to be really good at phase one of the OPT model. Fantastic. That's what you're doing. But is that what they want? Are they coming to you and say, I really want to focus on phase one of the NASM optimum performance training model? Can I uh, work with you? If somebody came to me and said that, I'd be like, oh my gosh, absolutely. And I would work with them and we'd stay in phase one because that's what they want to get better at. But that's, like, is there a goal to be reached outside of like a performance indicator that they want to produce? I don't know. 
Another thing that that I've heard and it's come up, uh, and and don't get me wrong, listen, y'all, you know I'm a big fan of corrective exercise. I love the product. I think it's a great product, the corrective exercise specialist. It is my favorite. But it's likely mostly abused by people. Sometimes the biggest abuse comes from people not knowing how to perform an exercise. For instance, an overhead squat. And you can take that overhead squat and they do it and they have poor form. And you want to you want to take notes and write it down. But at the end of that, did you sh you should try cueing an exercise when they squat. What does it look like? Because maybe they just don't know what an overhead squat supposed to look like. This is how they squat. It is a cueing issue, not a doing issue. Is it a cueing issue? Where all I had to say was, hey, make sure that your feet are straight ahead and your knees don't collapse in. Now, in the initial phases of this, you don't want to give any feedback. But once you see what's going on and you're taking that assessment in, then you want to have somebody and just start adding cues. But if you're taking that assessment without any cues and you're saying, oh, TFL must be tight, short head of the biceps femoris tight, lateral gastroc is tight, feet are flattening, we don't work on the posterior tibialis, we need to work on the semimembranosus and semitendinosus to give those strength, everything, glutes, we got to get those glutes fired up, belly button in, bracing your core, when all you had to do was say, don't let your knees knock together. So you put together an entire corrective exercise program for something that's not in need of mechanical correction. It was just in need of a cue. And are you able to provide those cues? For instance, one of my favorite ones, when people overhead squat assessment and they squat down and when they squat, their head looks up and then they stand back up, the head comes back to neutral. That tends to be the case. Sometimes people pick a spot on the ceiling. Sometimes people keep their head straight. And so when you squat down, the head juts forward goes into some extension, and then back to neutral. Well, if you look at that from the side, the head is doing the nutating, but it kind of looks like the arms are falling forward. And here you are with this incredible corrective exercise program. Let's SMR the lats. Let's SMR the, the pec major and the pec minor and the teres major. And now let's go through and we're going to work our lower traps and our serratus anterior. And now let's go through our integrated approach. And it didn't fix anything. Why not? Because all you had to do was try to get them to keep their head neutral and not nutate up and down when they were doing their squats. And so you're creating a fix from for something that didn't need to be fixed. In fact, I think we, we probably don't have enough information on cueing. I think cueing is an important craft and spotting, which I also feel like we need to maybe spend some more time on. Like what are good spotting techniques to help protect our clients from the lift, protect their clients uh, as things start to get heavy and how do we support them or coach them to support themselves? So there are some things within these strategies we look at. What are some things that, that we are using that are being misconstrued and misconception? And some of that's our fault at NASM. Maybe some of that's our fault, where we teach so much, hey, follow the corrective exercise steps without necessarily maybe saying, but pay attention to these other things too. Because what we're trying to do is get out the content on how to do this, but it doesn't mean that it's being applied the correct way in every instance. So there are some things on our end that I believe we can do better. There are some things 
on the trainer's end that I believe you look into it and you say, okay, what else is there to learn before and as I start to implement things? It's all very, very important. It's all very important. And I think that, that we need to know what these things are, what they mean, and how to support people with it. Us supporting the trainers that are out there, the trainers supporting best their client. So with that said, uh, there are some misconceptions out there about NASM. If you think that there's some misconceptions out there that were, I heard this about NASM. What does NASM say about that? Why don't you reach out to me? And then maybe I can discuss this on another episode. Maybe misconceptions about NASM will be like a mini series, kind of like we did on hypertrophy training. Um, so if you want to reach out to me, you can hit me up, at email rick.richie, R-I-C-H-E-Y at NASM.org. Or you can DM me on Instagram where I'm most active at dr.rickritchie. And then let me know. Let me know what you're thinking, where your mind's at. And uh, and then maybe we can get that kind of concept and do a little show about it. All right. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Y'all sign up for Optima. I hope to see you there, Optima 2022. Thank you so much for being here. Keep inspiring people to fitness. Fitness, let me know if you need you. This has been the NASM CPT Podcast. <laughs>